You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. You know, the stories we tell inform a lot of things about our history, about uh, what we know and what we think about different things. Uh, When I was a boy growing up, I've mentioned this before, my grandparents lived on a cattle ranch in eastern Colorado. I would go out there and later my great aunt and uncle, my grandmother's sister and her husband bought uh, 40 acres right next to uh, my grandfather's land and they moved in there. And so as a boy, I would go over to uh, my grandparents on weekends, in the summertime, on holidays, and we would stay there. And my great aunt and uncle would come over. And my grandmother, after dinner, they would always eat dinner with us. And then my grandmother would look at my great uncle, and she would always say, only one story. Because he loved to tell stories. And as a kid, I didn't understand why my grandmother got so uptight about it because I loved to hear those stories. And they, they helped me visualize things that I wouldn't have otherwise understood. One of my favorite stories that my great uncle told was about when he bought his first car. And this is what he said about that. They, they all grew up out there in eastern Colorado and he said, I had to buy a car. And, and that piqued my interest, like, you had to buy a car. Why? And he said, because it got to the point where a girl wouldn't let, you take, wouldn't let you take her home from the dance on horseback. And I had to buy a car. And in my mind, I just thought, what a shame. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could just ride around on horseback and we were all cowboys like as a little kid? That just seemed amazing. The Bible does that for us, right? The story of David and Goliath is, it's, it's bigger than the story. I mean, if you say David and Goliath, people think about the, the, the underdog versus the giant, right? I mean, they use David and Goliath in in politics and in sports and in war and all kinds of of analogies for this story that has become so iconic. We have out here in our, next to our front porch of the church, a rock, and it has a date on it, and it talks about a stone of remembrance, and it's related to the story of our church. Eight years ago, we put that rock out there, commemorating the idea that we had moved back into this auditorium to worship because for 10 years, we worshiped other places because we owned this building, but we couldn't afford to meet here. But God was faithful. And we tell that story, and I repeat that story, so that new people that come to our church and young people in our church will hear and know that God is faithful and has been faithful to our church and to our members. And we're going through this series talking about parables and the stories that Jesus tells And parables often had a very specific point. Last week, we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
how that this lawyer comes and he wants to justify himself and he first asks Jesus, how do I get eternal life? Jesus says, well, what does the Bible say? And, and the scriptures say, you should love God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. But that seemed a little open-ended for the, the lawyer. So he said, who's my neighbor? And in response to that question, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And he turns the question back to the lawyer and said, who's the neighbor? And the lawyer said, well, the one who showed compassion. And the story we're going to look at today out of Luke chapter 12 is similar in that Jesus tells a story in response to a question. There's a crowd around Jesus as there often was. And I imagine that those crowds were often with expectation. What is he going to do next? Is there going to be a storm he's going to calm? Is there going to be a, a, a sick person that he's going to heal? Is, is he going to feed us? Is he going to 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 tell another story? Is he going to preach another message? What's going to happen? And maybe in that crowd, they were telling stories. Man, I, I saw, or, you know, I didn't see it, but my, my neighbor's friend, he was there when Jesus healed that blind man, when Jesus cleansed that leper, when Jesus spoke that sermon up on the mountain. But as the crowd is around, and as they're in expectation, a man cries out. Luke chapter 12, verse 13, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. This was the other thing that was probably going on. People wanted things from Jesus. Could you come over here and heal? Could you come over here and teach? Could you do this? And this guy calls out and says, listen, I got a problem in my family. Apparently the father had died and the brother wasn't handling the affairs like the other brother thought he should. So a unique circumstance that had never happened before has never happened since and nobody can relate to it, right? That siblings would not, listen, I have two brothers and we've been dividing things our whole life. There's only one cookie left. Okay, well you break it, but then I get to pick which piece. No, you break it and I get to pick which piece. No, and then after a while, I'd just be like, well, I'm the oldest and I'll take it all. That also did not solve the problem. And that's what this guy says. He must be the younger because the older was handling the division, and that would have been the circumstance. The interesting thing is, Scripture deals with this. We'll not take the time to read it, but in Deuteronomy 21, it's in your notes, if you got those, Jesus said, or the, the Bible says, it's very clear. It doesn't matter who the father likes best. That the oldest, the firstborn, would always get a double portion. And all the other sons would get a divided portion of the father's estate. 
That was the law. And so we don't know whether this man who cries out was not getting his lawful portion or whether he didn't think that was fair and thought he should get more. Jesus didn't ask him any more questions. Rather, he makes a statement and tells a story. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Jesus doesn't interject himself into this guy's situation. He doesn't ask any more questions. Matter of fact, the reality was scripture was clear and there were courts set up to interpret and handle these situations. Jesus doesn't deal with that. He doesn't deal with the problem that the guy presented, but he does deal with the issue of the heart. Because he goes on and says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. This guy says, Jesus, listen. My brother is doing me dirty. And Jesus says, your life's not measured by what you have. Let me tell you a story. He doesn't deal with this man's presented problem, but he deals with, with this heart problem. First of all, Jesus gives a precept here. He said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. And then he makes this statement. Life is not measured by how much you own. Really? But don't we kind of? I mean, don't we look at how big a house we have, what kind of car we drive, how our bank accounts are doing? Don't we put up people who have made a lot of money? Don't we pay a lot of money to people that we idolize? Everything in our culture is about how much you have. And how much you have is representative of where you are in our culture. We make lists of the people that have the most. They come to my feeds all the time, probably because I've clicked on them before. I mean, the richest people by state I've seen that list before. The richest people in America, the richest people in the world. 
And yet Jesus said, life's not measured by what you own. There is another way to measure the quality of your life. This is Jesus' warning against one of the ten, one of the ten commandments. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17 says this, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Not your neighbor's boat or his car, how big his television set is, or the quality of his lawn. That's in the original Greek if you go down. <laughs> not really. Not when it's in Exodus and originally written in Hebrew. There's uh yeah, anyway. There's a quote that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He's reported to have said that men have confessed to me every known sin except the sin of covetousness. This is something that we do not often want to admit. That we are jealous. That we are envious of what someone else has or the situation that they are in. But Jesus warns against it. He warns us, he says, guard against every kind of greed. That's an interesting statement too. We don't have time to dive into that, but apparently there's more than one kind of greed. Because he says, every kind. I, I thought about that. I was like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways we can look at it. Sometimes we don't want what other people have. We just don't want them to have what they have. It's not that we want to be up there with them. We just want them down here with us. Because they don't deserve what they have. But then sometimes we think we do deserve what they have. We should be up there with them. Jesus said, guard against every kind of greed. And so he tells a story of this rich man. This man who apparently is working, but as he works, the fruit of his work is exceptional. It says that, that he has a, a fertile farm that produces fine crops, and that it got to the point that he didn't have room for all of it. Now, I mentioned that I've been exposed to ranching and farming. I am far from a rancher or a farmer. Uh, I've never owned a pair of cowboy boots, nor don't buy me one. I will never wear them. They look incredibly uncomfortable. People are like, oh no, you, I lived in Texas for a while. People would tell me how great cowboy boots were. I was like, hmm, I don't think I can pull those off. The heel, the toe, I, nope, it's not for me. Just telling you. If you're here this morning and you're in cowboy boots, I don't want to offend you. That's great for you. I'm not a cowboy. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a rancher. But I know this, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of work. 
right? I mean, you've got to work your land and, and you've got to plant the crops and you've got to keep the weeds out. But there's also a lot of, of fortune or luck. You can't control the weather. In, in this time, these guys were generally, they would inherit their land so they couldn't necessarily control which parcel of land they got. Now, maybe this guy bought some more land. We don't know. But he was blessed. Now, for most of us, we've been in kind of both sides of those blessings, right? You ever, you're working and, and maybe you have somebody of similar age, similar education, similar job, and, and, and yet they seem to rise and get bonuses or, or, or get promotions or, or there's just blessings that happen to them that don't happen to you. Beware of every kind of greed, of envy. But also sometimes we receive blessings even if we don't necessarily deserve it or even if we think we've earned it, God blesses us anyway or beyond. And some of us, you, you might be here and be like, well, I don't know, that's never happened to me, preacher. Listen, that's, we need to take account of what God's done for us. But this guy was blessed. Apparently the hail never destroyed the crops. The droughts hadn't gotten him. The flooding hadn't washed away. And, and his farm was producing at a record pace. So much so that he, he couldn't contain all of his crops. Tough problem, right? I mean, poof. What am I going to do with all of this? For most of us, it's like boo-hoo, right? But the man made some mistakes. First of all, he mistook his bank account for the things of God. He said, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. But what did Jesus say? Life is not measured by what you own. Matthew chapter seven and verse 20, Jesus says this. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can also identify people by their actions. This guy was blessed, but he, he, he had greed in his heart. Now sometimes... I was thinking about this this week, and we're going this story talks about money. And so we're going to deal with that. And I know for some of you, you're like, oh, the preacher's talking about money. I do not like that. <laughs> well, it's not the preacher. It, it's what the Bible says. And sometimes it's easy, depending on where we're at, to look at someone that's kind of at an opposite spectrum and see the wickedness or the evil there. For most of us, 
We could look at a billionaire and the excess of their lifestyle and maybe how they acquired that money and we could say, oh, that person is full of greed. Now, if you're here today and you're a billionaire, let's talk after the service. I would love to, I'm just kidding. But if you've been blessed, you could look at someone that has less and say, well, all that person wants is what I have. And if they would have worked like I worked, then maybe they wouldn't have to be so envious they could enjoy that. But the blessing came from God. Amen? I mean, the guy was a farmer. He had apparently worked hard, but who brought the rain? Who brought the sun? Who provided the, the nutrients in the soil? This is what God did. And so the, the blessing that this guy enjoyed was from God, but his heart was to keep that. Not only that, but the rich man mistook his body for his soul. Listen to what Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter four and verse 20. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. And then he says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. This guy was looking at what he had and thought, everything's going to be perfect in my life. But Proverbs says, guard your heart. Not guard your stuff. Guard your heart. And then he mistook time for eternity. He thought, I'm going to sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you will die tonight. Someone else was going to enjoy all of the fruit of his labor. He apparently had worked hard. His farm had produced, and somebody else was going to get the benefit of that. James says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town, and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans. And all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And the context of that is making your own plans and not accounting for God and his will in your life. This can be a difficult thing. Now, I recognize that there are people here that are much younger and in a much earlier part of their life than what I'm currently at. And there's 
a dwindling few folks who are a little farther down the path of life than I am. I'm 53 years old. I'm still working most day. I mean, I'm a preacher, so you get it. But <laughs> most days, my wife and I save for retirement. We, I look forward to a day where I don't have to work as hard. There's things in our future that we want. We have three kids. Two of them are married. We would like to have grandkids. That hasn't happened yet. The best we've got is grand dogs. It's not the same at all. And genetically, I had, my grandfather lived till he was 96 years old. I have on both sides of my family, I have good genes. I get a physical. My low cholesterol, I, my cholesterol's good. My, all, my, all my stuff is pretty good. Be like, oh, you stay in shape, preacher? Not really. I just, you know, I don't eat good. I like donuts. <laughs> but so far, so good. I could die tomorrow. I could die this afternoon. Penny, my wife and I, we talk about retirement and some plans that we have, but you know what the reality is? We don't know what our future holds. We don't know physically how we might deteriorate. We don't know how long we're going to live. None of that is ensured. And so making plans is not foolish, but if we don't acknowledge that it is God who is in control, then we are foolish. If we think we can control our future, if we think we can outplan, uh, you know, anything that might come up, we're fools. Because the reality is that God is the one who knows. God is the one who is in control, and and we're at His we're at His will. We're subject to his will. And James says, listen, it's a sin if you know what the right thing is, but you don't do it. If you make all these pretentious plans and you don't acknowledge that it is God who is in control. This guy sat back and thought, you've arrived. And God said, you're a fool. couple of points I want to make from this story this morning. Jesus ended this story by saying this in verse 21. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. I just want to give you three things by way of application. Number one, do work that has eternal value. Do work that has eternal value. Now, you might say, well, that's great for you, preacher. You're a preacher. No, listen, I, I'm a pastor, and I love to do that. But, you know, I can spend a lot of my day doing things that do not have eternal value That in my job. And it's probably easier in my job to do things of eternal value maybe than it is in your job. 
But all of us need to do work that has eternal value. And it's not just what we do in our job, but the things of eternity are people. See, if I spend all of my time worried about the buildings here and, and, you know, facility issues and I deal with financial issues and do all of that, and I forget about people, then I'm not doing anything that has eternal value. You with me? And it's certainly true with you. I'm not talking about changing jobs necessarily, but I am talking about that in our work, in our life's pursuit, are we doing things that are making a difference for eternity? And that relates to people. Are our relationships having some eternal value? So my dear brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. For some of you, it's the, the work that you do here at the church. We have folks that volunteer and in our food bank and, and with our kids and doing music and all kinds of things. And that work has eternal value. At your job, what are you doing to make a difference for eternity? You should be the best employee, employer. You should do the best at your job that you can do as a follower of Jesus because we do it unto God. But also we should look to have an eternal significance. He, number two, we need to lay up treasure that has eternal value. Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not store up treasures here on earth where moth, moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. You ever go, uh, you ever been dumpster diving? I have, just saying. Maybe you go to the dump or you see something that somebody threw out and you're like, that's pretty good. That's somebody else's trash, but that's really pretty good. I could have that in my place. You know, it's like the old joke. The guy had a chair and so he put it out on the curb and he said free and no one took it. So he put for sale $25, somebody stole it. I love that joke because it's so true. But somebody else's trash could be our treasure, right? But think about your own trash. I was thinking about that this week because we got like five Amazon packages this week. It's like Christmas all the time. You know, you come home, oh, there's a package on the porch. What is it? Oh, it's for my wife, doggone it. You know? But, it, but when it's yours, it's like, oh, we get to open it up. What is it? Sometimes, because, you know, I'm at that age now where I forget what I ordered. It's been two days. 
And then if it, if it is what you wanted and it fits, you're like, oh. But eventually that thing will probably end up also leaving your house in a garbage can. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I think about things and how they deteriorate. How what once was new and shiny becomes rusty and beat up and less desirable. And Jesus uses this illustration and then says, lay up treasures in heaven where nobody will take it. There's no market downturn. There's no rust. There's no corruption. And again, those things are what we do with our time and our talents and our treasures, our life, and how we invest them in others. Because that is the only thing we can take into eternity. And even in my own life, I think about how much time I spend thinking about things versus thinking about people. And am I doing things that have eternal value? Because everything outside of Christ will ultimately be garbage, be rubbish. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter three, beginning of verse eight, he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul had previously been talking about all that, all of his sort of pedigree, how he was a Jew of the Jews, how he had followed the law, how his parents had followed the law for him, how he had had great education and been to prestigious schools and had, had well-known teachers. And then he says, but all of these things are worthless outside of the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, Paul said, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Think about if I, uh, if I had a bunch of currency and I laid it out here, you know, and I had uh I had a couple of dollar bills, ones, put them down here. Maybe I had some foreign currency. You know, I laid down some, some money from different countries, a euro, a peso, whatever. But it was all pretty, pretty small denominations. But maybe I put down some 50s and some 100s from my Monopoly set. Couple hundreds. They're small, but they're pink. I don't know what color 100s are. And then I just put a couple little, small, tiny gold bars. What has the most value? 
for gold bars, right? I read this week Costco was selling little one ounce gold bars. They're like 1900 bucks. Not my Costco, but some Costco somewhere. I did not get any of those. They didn't have a coupon. I bet they keep that in the locked case. You know what I mean? Because we know the value of gold. And Paul lays out his pedigree, his education, his accomplishments. And he says, all of those things are garbage compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ. Think about it from a time perspective. Jesus said our life is a vapor, a morning fog that burns off and is gone. And then there's eternity. And yet how much time do we spend focused on just this life, this moment, and not think about forever. Our treasure, our time, the, the, the energy that we expand on, that we expend, is used for things that only have temporal meaning and value. And Jesus said, listen, store up for eternity. Who are you uh, who are you pouring yourself into? Who are you influencing that will have value forever? Who are you praying for? Who are you, who, who are you loving on to show them Jesus Christ that you might change their eternity and, and be a part of seeing them go from hell to heaven? Well, preacher, I'm really busy right now with things that are less important, with things that don't ultimately matter. I'm not saying that we shouldn't work hard. I'm not saying that we shouldn't save and plan for our future here on this earth. But I am saying that we need to have an eternal perspective. And go back to the beginning of this story. Here's a guy face to face with the Messiah, with the very Son of God become man and dwelt on this earth. And he said, Hey, Jesus, my brother's doing me wrong. Can you jump in here and help me out? And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. Your life's not measured by what you own. Beware of every kind of greed. Because in the end, what is important is what is eternal. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word and the challenge that it is to us. 
God, I pray if there's somebody here this morning that does not know you as Savior, Lord, that today would be their day of salvation that they would find me or maybe somebody that they came with and, 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 and really seek to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Lord, for those who know you as Savior, help, them to, help us, God, to be reminded and challenged today, not to be focused and so involved in the things of this world when, God, what matters is things of eternal significance. Lord, as we go from this gathering and meeting today, let us be ambassadors for you. Men and women in our jobs, in our families, in our relationships, God, who seek to do eternal, significant work for you. Let us carry this good news to those we come in contact with today. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. I want to close the message this morning just by reading this passage out of Romans 11 and verse 33, beginning of verse 33. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen.